Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs, affect more than 34 million children in the United States, in all communities and across all socioeconomic lines. Exposure to ACEs puts kids at higher risk for health, behavioral, and learning problems. Pediatric clinicians are on the front lines when it comes to helping kids and families prevent, manage, and heal the effects of ACEs. Simone Ippoliti is a nurse practitioner at the Bayview Child Health Center, a pediatric clinic in San Francisco. She says screening for adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, has become an important tool for identifying toxic stress in her patients' lives. It tells you that there is a problem. You're not diagnosing a condition based off of a screen, but it, it alerts you to dig deeper. You're listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we talk with pediatric providers about their perspectives on screening for childhood adversity and toxic stress. I'm Lena Singh. In this episode, I sit down with Simone to explore how she implements ACEs screening in her practice. Simone says the key is to start early. We start screening at nine months, understanding that 12 years and under, we give the ACE cue to the parent. What they'll do is they'll go through the ACE cue and they'll, um, it's de-identified, so they'll mark how many ACE um, questions apply to them. They'll put a number in a box and then they'll go down to the second box and again, put a number for how many apply to them in the second box. And if they screen positive, which means they have ACEs, um, we'll review that questionnaire with them and discuss that that we understand that the stress that their child may have experienced could be impacting their health um, and that there are things we can do to mitigate that effect. And typically that leads to further questions depending on the family's readiness. So some families, they'll fill out the ACE screen, but they're not ready to have a conversation, um, in which case I would say something like, we, you know, thank you for filling out all these questionnaires. The reason why I ask you to fill this particular questionnaire out is because we know that high doses of stress can impact a child's health, and I leave it at that. Um, if they're willing to and, and ready to engage in a deeper conversation, we do that, but if they're communicating to me that they're not at that point, then we leave it at that, understanding that they always do tend to come back, and you have other opportunities to explore that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also the sort of universal screening takes out the stigmatizing portion. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you clearly have a high ACE score. You know, it's a moot point with a, exactly. with a systematic universal screen. Exactly. And yeah. it's the same way, you know, we screen for cholesterol for every kid 9 to 11 years old. We're not picking out the kids who just have a higher BMI. Every kid gets a cholesterol screen. Um, every kid gets a lead screen at 12 and 24 months, not just kids who might live in older houses, but every kid gets it. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, kids are so resilient, so incredibly resilient. You can have a kid come in with this big smile, so excited about stickers, um, just the happiest kid on the planet, and they can have a six and four A score. I see it all the time. It is absolutely, um, it's, it's not something that you can necessarily pick up or always pick up on just by walking in the room and reading the situation. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of where in the workflow you do the screening, what that looks like? That's a big question that we get from a lot of providers. Like, how do I integrate this seamlessly into my workflow? <laughs> Absolutely. So pediatrics is pretty, um, 
pretty standardized in terms of when families tend to get paperwork. It always ends up being kind of right at the beginning of the visit. They come in to the waiting room, they're handed an ACEQ just like they're handed a staying healthy questionnaire or an ages and stages developmental screen. They fill out all of those screens um, and then it's given to the provider. The provider reviews it and then the provider typically comes into the room and discusses those various screens with the patient. And I think that having that conversation, having the ACE screen kind of be a um, lead in point to that conversation really builds a lot of understanding, mutual understanding for both the patient, for the family and the provider. I'm curious to know kind of what you see as the medical provider's role when it comes to responding to to ACEs and, and providing intervention. For me as a provider, health is health. The child that walks into your room that comes in with a particular symptom, that symptom is being affected by an entire host of issues, a whole entire host of etiologies. Maybe it's genetics, maybe it's environmental, maybe it's stress. Screening for ACEs allows me to look at a child who has eczema and understand that it might be an allergen that's triggering their eczema, it might be stress that's impacting their eczema, Um, it might be both. And having an ACE screen in place to know not necessarily what type of adversity they've experienced, but just knowing that they have experienced a high dose of adversity allows me to sort of um, recalibrate my treatment plan and my assessment. I, I do think that pediatricians are typically addressing ACEs, even if they're not necessarily aware or able to label that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you're really sort of framing ACEs in this way that this information allows us to provide the best possible care for you and your family. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I, I think it's um, that's definitely a large piece of it. And I also think that just having the family understand that the stress that their child has experienced may be impacting that child's health and that the family can actually do so much to mitigate those effects and having a conversation about you know teaching families about what potential buffers are or um, what their own natural strengths are to be able to buffer those effects, mm-hmm. that in itself is really helpful. For some families, I've had them, um, I've heard them say that just filling out the ACE screening is therapeutic in and of itself. That being able to be somewhere where they know um, that these potential issues that maybe they've never discussed before could be impacting their child's health, just having that information um, is sort of a first step towards therapeutic intervention. Do you, is there any sort of patient story that stands out to you or family story uh, about kind of a a response to the ACE screen and um, the follow-up and that kind of how that relationship developed over time? I have a 15-year-old that I've seen for two well visits. Her ACE screen has always been zero and zero. Um, And in the course of our conversation, actually discussing those six domains um, and talking about mindfulness and mental health and sleep, um, I had asked her if she felt safe at home. And she said, well, now I do. I asked her, has there ever been a time you don't feel safe at home? And she said, yes, that she'd previously been sexually abused as a child. And having that conversation um, 
was incredibly difficult for her in the moment. Um, she'd never acknowledged or, or admitted to this um, out loud to anyone, not in her family, not to a previous medical provider. Um, and it allowed her to just sit with that information for a little bit and, and understand how it clearly was still affecting her. Um, she left the visit that day and made a plan to inform her mother of what had happened. Um, they came back to see me a week later and they had sort of incredibly gone off and found their own behavioral health provider. Um, they had really just created such an, a wonderful team together. Um, and she's now accessing mental health services for the traumas that she experienced as a child. Wow. Yeah. A big kind of question that we hear or concern that we hear, um, how, do, how do I think about ACE screening related to mandated reporting? Our families, for the most part, are pretty um, willing to discuss the, the stress and the traumas that, they're, that they've experienced. Sometimes that comes with um, noting a particular reportable um, issue. And, and in those times, I, I mean, there's no, um, no doubt that CPS and, and mandated reporting is fraught with um, a lot of concern on the provider and the family's part about what the consequences of that call will look like. Um, when I make a CPS call, if there is any chance that I can, I always make the call with the parent. Um, I think it's really important to have that that family feel empowered and um, a part of the process. I think the unknown is the scariest part. And so having them really be involved in every step and really uh, be educated about everything as it comes is is the most important thing you can do for those families. Because the reality is, even if you're not doing an ACE screening, every pediatrician has questions that they, they typically ask that can lead to a family either admitting a history of abuse or seeing a bruise that doesn't seem accidental. You're you're going to be faced with that on a day to day basis, whether there's an A screen involved or not. Do patients or families ever express concern about being reported to CPS as a result of answering the screening questions? Not as an a result of answering the screening questions, and the reason being that it's de-identified. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think, as we get into a deeper conversation. I think it's you know it's always really important for any pediatrician to know what the um, reporting laws are in their own state, and I always preface every conversation that I have with families um, with an understanding of I am a mandated reporter. These are the things that I would need to report, um, just so that we're both we're all on the same page, so that it doesn't feel like a surprise when when they. Um, relay information that I would then need to potentially report. Mm-hmm. The biggest, the most important thing we do is we, if we can avoid it, we never make a CPS call without informing the family first. 
Obviously, there are situations where that's not possible, but knowing that this can be a potentially very scary experience for those families, just letting them know, um, hey, I'm, you know, I'm worried about your child. I, I want to make sure that we um, get any necessary and possible service in place to help support your child and ensure their safety. Um, would you be interested in making this call together? Those are the things that I think could potentially mitigate some of that that fear and, and concern about the unknown of CPS. Yeah. And I do typically try to um, hold in my mind that CPS can be, can be there to be a support for families and to connect them with resources that they would otherwise not get um, because they're resources that are really connected to the CPS model. I've had calls that I've made. I made a call with a mom a few months ago and the call operator was wonderful. She talked to this mom about why it's unsafe to engage in this particular behavior, why it's important for that child's health, that the mom um, learns new ways of caring for that child. I was really impressed with this operator because she actually was implementing trauma-informed care. I mean, she was very respectful, very um, understanding of potential gaps in understanding for this mom. And it didn't, you know, it because the mom was part of the phone call, it allowed the care and the services to kind of be provided in the moment mm-hmm. and didn't have any ramifications for a child being taken away or any kind of punitive um, consequences. Mm-hmm. And, and just understanding that it is a lot of opportunity with CPS to be a support for families. Mm-hmm. And is there um, any advice, kind of any general advice you would have? My general advice, um, understanding that not every practice has access to um, in-house mental health supports is really knowing if you're going to do a de-identified screen, if you're going to have that conversation with a family, what what your next steps look like and being really clear that you have a protocol in place for those next steps. Um, So partnering with community organizations that are um, providing mental health care, partnering partnering with community organizations that are um, aiding families with housing. Having a system in place so that you know what to do with that information when you get it is probably the most key. That was Simone Ippoliti, a nurse practitioner with the Baby Child Health Center in San Francisco. Her clinic is affiliated with the Center for Youth Wellness. You've been listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of providers screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm your host, Lena Singh. Our editor is Jennifer Marshall. This episode was mixed by Francesca Fenzi. Ben Manila is our executive producer. This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Youth Wellness as part of the National Pediatric Practice Community on ACEs and made possible by funding from the JPB Foundation, Genentech, Cal Endowment, and the Hearst Foundation. The music was composed by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.